1: Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. We are already deep in the holiday season. That came much quicker than expected this year due to everything going on. 2020 has been a roller coaster of a year, but hopefully you guys have been busy. Um, we, We have been very busy over here at Victory Capital Group. Today's episode is with Bruce Peterson. Bruce was on, I believe, episode 30. He's a best-selling author, syndicator in the Austin, Texas area. And I had him on today to talk about a mixed-use development project in Nashville he's doing. It's like this outdoor restaurant, music-y kind of place. Real hip, real cool, and it's going in the booming market of Nashville. I hope you guys enjoy today's episode, take away a lot of value from what Bruce is bringing in as far as what he's doing with this development project like i say guys it helps us out head over to apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating us a review it's been helping the show out tremendously we've been getting some great feedback so further ado welcome in bruce and enjoy today's episode all right welcome back to the show we've got bruce peterson in the hot seat today Uh, Bruce is a best selling offer. He's got a great book. Go check that out. Bruce has been on the show before. Bruce, you were here, I believe it was episode 30. Uh, It was episode 30. Um, You came in, you talked about how you uh, misplaced $5.2 million in one of your deals. That was a good story. I know it always puts a smile on your face. I'm sure thinking about that. Uh, But Bruce,
0: go right ahead and introduce yourself. Yep. Bruce, the apartment guy Peterson. uh, You know, I've been syndicating large apartment deals for. Let's see. I got started with my education in 2011. Bought my first deal in 2012. Uh, I'm a former retail guy. Uh, I was a stockbroker in the early 90s, but you know, may, mainly I was in retail for almost 20 years. College dropout, you know, from uh, college. I mean, high school dropout. Parents, you know, just not your typical route to what I'm doing now. But you know, I, like I said, I started doing it in 2012. I've syndicated over 1,100 units now. Um, national award winners for what we do, local award winners for what we do. Uh, My wife's my business partner. She's a CFO. She is a CPA with a specialization in real estate and multifamily especially. And I'm the CEO for everything we do. We're vertically integrated. We have a construction company, an asset management company. We have a, a property management company in Austin and one also in Nashville, Tennessee. So this is all we do all day, every day.
1: I love it. Now, Bruce, since you were last done, you're primarily focusing on apartments. Now you've kind of mixed that with some development, what it seems like. Why don't you update us on what you've been doing since last time you were on the show with us?
0: Yeah, so I haven't found anything in the multifamily space that kind of interested me enough, and the numbers worked as well. So you know, I don't want to rest on my laurels. I don't want to just sit on the sidelines. So I, you know, opened my eyes to different things, uh, looking across different industries and uh, niches within real estate. And so I've got a business partner in my Nashville uh, management company, and he's a commercial broker and he's a developer. So he brought something to me. He said, Hey dude, look, I'm thinking I'm wanting to do this deal and I'd love for you to be part of it. I'm like, okay, great. Talk to me. What we're doing is, for those of you that are listening and know a fair amount about how syndication works, first of all, it's a 506C, right? Some people go, oh, you can't talk about your a 506C. I can basically do anything I want as long as I don't mislead, do anything fraudulent or illegal, so we can talk about this. Um, but it is for accredited investors, but we are doing a development in Nashville of a food hall concept. Now, I call it a food hall concept, but it's truly mixed use. We're going to have micro office, micro retail, and we're going to have micro um, uh, restaurant concepts there too. We're going to have a big event space. So what we're doing is looking around at what's going on with COVID and how nobody, well, a lot of restaurants are struggling right now. But what we've noticed is the food hall concept, if it's an outdoor based food hall concept, it seems to be thriving right now. The indoor spaces, okay, they are struggling. But that's why with this one, we're going to have probably somewhere between 8 and 10, maybe as many as 12 of these micro-restaurant concepts. They're going to be local Nashville, kind of hipper, uh, more cutting-edge type of concepts.
1: No McDonald's?
0: (laughs) No. No McDonald's, (laughs) no Chick-fil-A. Love them both, but no, that's not what this is about. So what we're going to do is, you know, basically – The patron will walk up, place their order at the counter, so to speak, and then they'll have a communal area outside that they can eat. We're going to have rooftop access for that as well. And we're going to give restaurants uh, a place that they don't have to take down a whole 10, 20, 30, 40,000 square foot space, which comes with a lot of risk, a lot of capital investment. We're going to build out the space, create, you know, their basic infrastructure for them. The ventilation will be in place. Um, a lot of like the the sinks, the counters, all that stuff. They just got to bring their own furnishings into it, if you will. So it's going to touch a, on it, right? It's going to be a very low cost entry into the restaurant space. It will be a place that we foresee uh, existing people might want to test out a new concept. And they don't want to, again, put a ton of money into a concept and then have it not work out. So this is the way they can test it. It's, it's kind of a, a similar concept to a food truck, but just a little bigger concept than a food truck. So we're also going to build up podcasting studios, meetup spaces, purpose-built meetup spaces. Because everybody in the world right now, they've been, they're being told, you've got to create your own podcast. You've got to do your own meetup. But there aren't a lot of places that are conducive to meetups, really. We find places where we can figure out how to like wedge ourselves into the corner of the coffee shop right? right. In the back room somewhere. And hopefully nobody else just wanders in. So we're going to purpose build this stuff. So again, we're trying to listen to everything going on around us. People are going batshit crazy and they want to get out to restaurants, but they don't want to yep. sit indoors. They want to be able to go outside somewhere in a place that they feel safe. So that's the idea behind it. And because there's such small spaces, our rent per square foot is going to be crazy high. It's going to be anywhere from our projection is $35 to $40 a square foot, Mm -hmm. right? For people that are listening that are in multifamily, it's different multifamily. You figure that on a monthly basis. and commercial, you figure that on an annual basis. So a $50 per, uh, per square foot rent means $50 per square foot for the entire year. Then you divide that by 12 and you come up with your monthly expense. Well, these restaurants, that's a really high price per square foot. But when you can, when you break that out on a monthly basis, it's dramatically cheaper than anything else they can get. So I think we're filling a big niche uh, where it's kind of the pivot that's going being created by COVID and we're, we're, seeing big opportunities for us. So the deal looks to be, uh, about a four to five year hold 20% IRR is the, the buyout, you know? So to be honest, we're going to hold this for 30 to 40 years. That's the plan. Right. We are going to syndicate it to give a lot of people access to a great deal with great returns. But the plan is within four to five years, we will hit a 20% IRR. When we hit that 20% IRR, we will buy out the, the limited partners They'll get a great return on their money, and they can turn around and deploy it again, right? Right. For the velocity of capital for the investors, but we want to hold it for the long term.
1: Okay, so let me stop you there because I've got a bunch of questions. Okay. First off, guys, if you haven't seen this project, go check it out. I'll put in the show notes where you can link to go see this project. The pictures that you guys have drawn up basically are beautiful. It's a great space. Um, first off, the partner that you're doing this with—that's completely different market than you're in. You're over in Austin, Texas, correct? Yep partners over in Nashville, Tennessee. How did you get linked up with this uh, commercial broker slash developer?
0: Well, I met him at a men's accountability group, a mastermind. Um, He was a member at one of the events that we were holding. Uh, The event was in my backyard here in Austin. He flew in for it as a guest and we just started talking. I did a presentation uh, to the group of roughly a hundred guys and uh, I talked about syndications. He came up to me later and said, look, I'm very interested in trying to figure out how to syndicate myself And so we got to know each other. And then about a year later, he reached out and said, hey, I'm thinking about opening a management company. Would you be interested? Because I would like to have the multifamily aspect as part of the offering, but I just don't know multifamily. Right, and you've got the systems in place. Right, we had a perfect marriage. So we got in the business together. And then we started looking, okay, how can we actually go out and purchase together, syndicate together or develop together? So it's just been a great relationship uh, he's a phenomenal guy. He's a super smart guy. So I'm aligned with a really good person.
1: Yeah, I like that. And that's one thing that really upsets me right now is with COVID, we don't get these in-person masterminds where so much networking and, and business goes on. So it's tough. It's it's tough to, you know, when you got a room of 100 people in a Zoom call, you, you can't have a one-on-one conversation with those people in that Zoom call. You got to reach out after. And it's not the same as shaking their hand and being in front of them. Exactly. Um, so you talked about a four to five year hold period with a 20% IRR, which is a great IRR, great return. Um, what are we talking as far as timelines? So what are we looking at? Like 12 months for construction? Then what are we talking for lease up?
0: Yeah, 12 to 18 months for construction and a full year for lease up. Now, I think we're going to exceed both of those. We're going to outperform both of those, but we're approaching this crazy conservatively to make sure that you know, we can hit our mark. Uh, I, again, fully expect to outperform that Uh, We project the first bit of cash flow will come out sometime in year three or four. Um, We're calling it a five-year plan for the 20 IRR buyout, but I really believe we'll do it in four. But again, we're giving ourselves the runway to year five just to be safe.
1: Okay. And I'm assuming you guys are starting this with a construction loan, correct?
0: Well, we're taking down the dirt first because uh, it's about three and almost three and a half acres. uh, There's two parcels. There's one that has a defunct like 1940s built or 1950s built motel well i saw that on there (laughs) the adjoining parcel that's vacant we're going to to completely tear down the, the motel repurpose the entire two parcel thing into one and build this big piece on top of it
1: okay and at what point do you guys once construction's done do you plan on refinancing or do you plan doing the refinance when you go to buy out the investors at year five
0: Right. And I forgot to complete the last thought, right? So That's okay. <laughs> we're going to first take down, the, t- take down the dirt with a loan. And then we are going to take that and roll that in to the construction loan because we're going to use the same local lender for both. Um, but uh, so what was your follow-up question then? I'm sorry. Uh, at what point would a refinance
1: happen to overtake that construction loan, put in some permanent financing and buy out the investors?
0: Well, that that's the whole key. So that'll be that should be in year four. It may even okay. be sooner. It might be a little longer. Again, that's why we've been ourselves five years. But yeah, as soon as we can get it stabilized and full, we're going to pull the trigger right then. And the way we're doing this, um, it's a little different maybe than some. It's a twenty cap, right? So you know, just to be fair, <laughs> it is the, the investor is capped at twenty percent. Twenty percent IRR is a phenomenal IRR, but right. still they are capped. And the reason for that, because I've had a few questions, well, but so then I have limited upside. Yeah, but that upside is really big. But the reason we've capped it at 20%, when it comes time to go do the cash out refi, if I can hit a 20% IRR with that refi for the investor and still only very big exaggeration here, but to make a point, if I can do that by only putting 30% debt on that property, well, then that's all I'm going to do. Yeah. Because I'm going to hold this for the long term. I want this to be as safe an investment as I possibly can. And the lower leverage I can have on it going forward, you know, that's more appealing to us for the long term 40 year hold. So if we could take out a 70% cash out refi, but the 30% cash out refi would still satisfy that 20% IRR, there's a good chance that's all we're going to do. And that's why we've capped it because we're gonna to try to be conservative on the back end for ourselves as well. So we're gonna provide a great return for the limited partner, but then we're gonna have it set up to where we can keep ourselves very conservative on the back end as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, 20% is really strong. Like you said, most deals are seeing mid-teens on IRRs right now. Right. Um, are you, since there's no cash flow while the construction's going on and while the lease up's going on for the most part, is there a preferred return in place or is it just strictly you know, a certain
0: percentage split of ownership
1: of the prop project?
0: So, the GP split is 80 20, but there is a six pref. Now, if you okay. think about it, though, an IRR takes care of the pref, right? An IRR is an IRR, however you got there, pref, no pref, whatever. The reason we decided to put a six pref in there, you know, it's kind of it as a contingency. Let's say year five comes and the market completely shifts. We're profitable, everything's going well, but the market shifts, or let's say cap rates go up right? So if cap rates go up above our anticipated exit cap, well, we might not be able to hit that 20% IRR. I fully believe we will. But if we can't, well, then the investors will just stay in like a normal everyday run of the mill syndication, right? We will all stay in it together. And then someday we will dispose of or sell the property. And then we'll all get our share based on an 80-20 split That six PREF is there again to give a little bit of a backstop in case we do have to go past the five-year point. While we have no cash flow in the first couple of years, that PREF, of course, won't be paid, but it will accrue. It does not compound, but it does accrue.
1: Okay, that's that's very important. And so what the listeners need to understand, the compound versus the accrue, is the compound, and Bruce, correct me if I'm wrong because I don't have too much experience in this side of it, um, if you do not meet the 6% each year, it's going to compound over, so you receive it in full, but the accrued is going to be 6% here, 6% here, 6% each year. Is that correct, if there's no cash right, flow so in there?
0: With an accruing uh, prep, basically what happens, let's say the, uh, it, it's a 6 for every year. Let's say the first two years we don't have cash flow yeah. because we're going through construction, we're going through lease up, but yep. you know, I still owe you 6% a static 6% for each of those two years. So when we sell, I got to make you, uh, there's a makeup, right? Uh, A catch up, if you will, that I owe you 12%. So I'll make that up on the back end. Once you get your 12%, then we do our 80-20 split. And then that's where you get to your IRR. Now, compounding means it's the same thing, but a little different, right? So compounding, if I have a six pref, Let's say it's a fully stabilized property that we buy. The first year of operations, we only generate a 5% profit to the limited investor. Well, I missed it by 1%. That 1% miss gets tacked on to the next year, right? So the next year will be the 6%, but then that extra 1% on top of it, right? So it's just like compounding interest. It's the exact same concept. That gets a little murky for some people to try to comprehend, understand, and follow. So we try to keep it a little more simple than that. We're going to, it is accruing. So any year that we miss it, we'll make that up on the sale, right? But now uh, the other part of it with the cash out refi, I said sale, on the cash out refi, we're not going to participate in that. Again, we are just trying to assure that we can hit the 20 IRR. So there will be no 80-20 split on the back end. We're going to give it all to the limited investor. So again, that lowers our hurdle to be able to execute this cash out refi because we're not going to put anything in our own pockets, right? So right. again, we're trying to make it very simple. We're trying to make it very conservative and you know something that everybody can understand and do very well on.
1: Yeah, no, I like it. And- Bruce, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are the gentleman that likes to do no acquisition fee in exchange for no preferred return. Is that correct?
0: That's the way we've always done it, but this time it's kind of a blend. We're going to give you a pref, and we're still not gonna take an acquisition fee.
1: That was going to be my we're next question, to so no acquisition no fee.
0: You know, again, we're trying to make this as good an investment for the limited partner as we possibly can With the with the, you know, honest, you know, long-term goal is to hold this for 40 years. So the investors are going to help us execute that plan. And for that, they, we will reward them handsomely. Um, but yeah, there is no acquisition fee. And I've always had that, right? That no acquisition fee, but I'm also not going to give a pref. There's a good chance in my future, I will pivot and start charging acquisition fees. But to date, I haven't. I didn't, I've never wanted to. But again, I'm never going to close that door. We may in the future, but on this one, a pref, but still no acquisition or disposition fee. Okay. I I take that back. I think there is a 1% disposition fee. So I don't want to speak out of turn, but again, they're going to get the offering and the show notes, uh, but there's definitely no acquisition fee.
1: Right. Yeah. And so it's funny. I was talking to my uh, sec attorney and we were talking about how to structure a deal. And she said, how do you guys want to structure it? And so I mentioned to her the no acquisition for no preferred return. She's, she goes, Hmm, I've, in all my years of doing this, I've never had anyone ever offer that to me. She's like, that's actually a great idea. And I was like, I take none of the credit for it. I what do you mind, Bruce? It's a, I think it's pretty smart because something you said, and for those that didn't listen to episode 30 is instead of taking the acquisition fee up front, paying a 35, 40% tax on it right away, pushing it right out the window, you're not doing that. You're leaving the investors with more money, less of a raise, and then you straight up split the returns, whether it's a 30, 70, 20, 80, however you do it. I really find that attractive. Um, I like how you guys do that.
0: Right. I, um, I think it's, you know, because it was a give and take. That was the idea behind it. First of all, I'm always geared towards simplicity. And simplicity said, I don't want all these fees. I just want a straight 80-20 split. But also what it does is that, you know, we've got the tax benefits, obviously. Yep, but, yep. Uh, but, you know, I live my life on cash flow. I want to preserve selfishly again, but I'm going to be completely transparent and let everybody know what my thought process is because people go, well, "I need a prep." Let me tell you why I live on cash flow. I don't want massive chunks of income coming in. First of all, it's hard to budget your life like that. Yep. Secondly, like you said, there's a hellacious tax hit that I want to take if I structure it wrong. So it's for a couple of reasons that I do that. Um, but you know, again, it preserves my cash flow because I don't have to give the PREF, but because I don't give the PREF, I didn't feel right charging an acquisition fee.
1: Right, and you're protected by those tax benefits through the cash flow you're receiving as well. Yep. Um, On a project like this, do you guys plan doing a cost segregation once the construction is complete? Of course, absolutely. And that's a good way
0: for uh, the investors while we're holding it uh, until we do execute the plan and get the 20% IRR buyout, well, we're going to have lots of tax uh, advantages here, too, because everybody will have a, a big chunk of that depreciation expense show up on their K-1 that they can maybe use on their personal earned income.
1: Right. If they're a real estate professional, if not, just it's going to keep rolling over for them and they take advantage of that. Right. It's huge. Um, what's the minimum investment you guys are taking on a project like this as someone that was listening, was interested in
0: investing in it? Again, you have to be accredited, uh, but it's a $100,000 minimum. Now we do reserve the right to accept lower denominations and those we've got that in there because when we get to the end of the cash raise, if we have some extra slots that we can afford to lower the minimum at the end, we definitely will. Um, my partner, myself, my wife, we had people give us a leg up the first time out. Even though these people are accredited, maybe it's their first deal. And maybe they think, you know, not only am I new to you Bruce well I'm also new to this industry to real estate so I don't feel comfortable at 100 so we we try to be as flexible as we can but we got to limit the number of people that invest in the deal too because we got to manage that right so if I have 400 people come into a deal Oh my lord! My life's going to be a nightmare trying to communicate with all 400 voices and personalities. So we try to keep it as small as we can, as manageable as we can. But if we have space at the end where we feel we can afford a couple of fifty thousand dollar slots, we will do that. But it's not a guarantee.
1: And what are you guys raising? It's roughly around five million. Is that correct? What you're looking Uh, for?
0: Yeah, it's about four point nine. We're just calling it five. The documents actually say seven. You know, that's just. It's a placeholder, basically, but we're only projected to raise about 4.9. Okay. All right. And just to let you know, and this is not to create any kind of a, a frenzy. This is not to create panic or stress. It's just reality. Yeah. You know, we released this uh, publicly about two days ago, and uh, we're about halfway done already.
1: So, That's awesome. Congratulations. Uh, it'll, it'll, That's it'll huge. Fill
0: up very, very quickly. So I tell everybody, if you're interested, fine. Make sure you understand the documents that we're going to send to you. Take them to your attorney. If you don't, if you can't get that done quickly enough and it fills up before you get it all done, that's okay. We and other syndicators out there are going to do lots of other deals. Do the thing that's right for you and your family. Take the time you need to get comfortable with the structure, but there is a chance it's going to fill up pretty quick.
1: Yeah, no, I like it a lot. I'm with that being said, you've raised a decent chunk of capital over your 1100 plus units you've done. Are you seeing a lot of investors crossover from what you were doing before into a project like this? Kind of diversify their investment portfolio from apartments to mixed use.
0: A lot, yes, but not all. Some people have been, of course, not Recently, um, people that didn't come up in real estate and they've just joined a local group or you know one of the national groups to learn. You know, a lot of times they're like, "Oh, I don't know anything about that. I learned about multifamily, so that's where I'm comfortable." But then once they become sophisticated and they understand that commercial real estate is commercial real estate, yes, multifamily yep. might be the safest of the bunch, but it'll also usually have the lowest returns for that safety. Commercial, the way we're doing it is still very safe, but you know it's not multifamily. So there needs to be a little higher return and there absolutely is going to be a quite a bit higher return on this deal. But we're starting to see more and more people come over. Uh, They're getting comfortable with it. Uh, And we explain to them all the ways we're being conservative, all the things that we've put in, uh, all the thought that we've put into this and trying to position ourselves to take advantage of this new COVID world that we're living in. And then the post-COVID world where things are just going to change. You know, we're trying to do this in a way that makes total sense.
1: Yeah. For the tenants you have in here that you're going to be placing in here for the restaurants, what types of leases are you going to be doing with these tenants? Are they uh, a five-year lease? Are they a 12-month lease? How does that look? What do you guys plan on doing for that?
0: Well, commercial typically is going to be at least three, but usually five, 10, or 20-year leases. But that's not what we're going to do here at all. The plan is, uh, on the front end, is we are going to sign short-term leases, meaning 12-month leases, most likely. Yep. What we're going to try to do is get people in. We want to give that in uh, uh, renter, Some flexibility, first of all, but just like in the apartment complex world, there's a reason we don't sign 24, 36, 48 month leases in apartment complex world. And again, to be totally upfront and transparent about it, it's if I lock you into a four year lease, well, that's great. I have stability, but now I can't raise your rent every year, keep up with inflation. I have three years potentially where I'm not keeping up with inflation because I set my rate for four years. Well, we've got the same concept in mind here that we're going to sign short-term leases, get people in, prove the concept to these leasers, to these yep. renters, show them the value proposition. We're going to get them in the front door at about a $33 per square foot average rent. And they're going to go, oh my God, that's great. And then they are going to see exactly what this is going to do for them.
1: Right, for their business.
0: Second lease, then we're going to go to more of what we feel as a market rent, which might be 40 to $60 a foot. So that's why we're doing it this way on purpose. Uh, my business partner, he has just bought a car wash uh, about maybe two miles away from this, a coin-op car wash that has six bays. And what he and his partner in that deal are doing, they're going to convert all those bays, the, the infrastructure, the structure of that bay, they're going to enclose it and create micro restaurants again that's maybe hundred 150 square feet something like that much smaller than our proposed six to eight hundred square feet and they' they they have it on the market at a hundred dollars a square foot they've already leased more than half of the units they have LOis in on half the units at a hundred dollars a square foot we're projecting 33 yeah right? now those are smaller units. So their price per square foot is naturally going to be higher than ours. We'll probably never get to the hundred because we are a larger footprint, but still 40 to $50 per square foot is probably completely doable. And he's proven that concept, you know, a couple of miles down the road.
1: Right. Yeah. And for those again, listening, what we were talking about with, you know, you can't lock someone into a long-term lease or you can't do the raise. That's typically correct for what we're used to multifamily. What with these commercials, these restaurants, Um, when they're in 10, 20 year leases, they typically have a clause in there uh, noting a five year raise or on the rent or something like that. So when you're looking at the KFC, that's a single standing KFC. Typically they'll have somewhere in the lease that it's a a raise for those of you that aren't aware of that. Um, Bruce, talk to us. So I know we touched on a little bit, the construction loan. What are the terms on that? What's the, the financing amount you guys are able to do for the construction loan? That's not like your regular Freddie Fannie loan or or anything like that.
0: Well, we're still going through that. So we don't have a term sheet on that or anything at all. But um, again, now you gotta remember, I'm a multifamily guy. Yep, This is new for me. I buy stabilized assets, non-recourse agency debt, Fannie and Freddie Mac, right? So this is a new world for me and I'm learning as we go. Uh, but that's why I'm partnered with not only my partner who's a developer, we've got two other developers in the GP, we've got an architect in the GP and we've got a construction guy in the GP. So we've got tons of experience. But from what I'm understanding, you know, we're starting to get some early feedback on the construction loan. Um, I, I think we're going to get an 80, uh, 80% loan, maybe even an 85% loan. Um, again, after that, I got to be honest, I don't know much about it. I'm assuming it's still a 20 to 25 year AM. Yep. Um, the interest rates will still be competitive, probably in the fours. Uh, you know, multifamily, you can get sub three. So the lending's not going to be quite as good. We're going to get a higher loan to cost now instead of a loan to value, right? Because there's there's ARV, there's after repaired value, so to speak, or after constructed value. But right now, there's not a whole lot of value other than dirt because we haven't built right. anything. So it's called a loan to cost for your listeners, not a loan to value, because they look at the, the cost to construct it with the land rolled in sometimes. And that total cost, they'll give you a loan to cost. So our loan to cost will probably be about an 85, an 80 to an 85%.
1: Okay. Is that with the land rolled in or is the land being uh, purchased uh, ahead of time?
0: The land is being purchased ahead of time, but that will probably serve as collateral. So it will be a standalone construction loan, most likely. But again, we have flexibility there too. It just depends on what works best for the investors and for the overall project as to how we roll that.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show, man, because we're not talking about this on a day to day. This isn't stuff that you go on podcasts and you hear about, so it's always fun to you know discuss and see the different avenues that are available for investments like this.
0: Exactly. And you know, you know talking about our GP, there's there's six of us in there. the The expertise that we bring in, we bring in all the back uh, the back office uh, expertise and the cash raise, right? So that's our role. But it was very important for us to get into construction and development the first time with a lot of really big guys, a lot of guys with a ton of experience so we could learn the right way so we don't screw things up. So, well, yeah, again, we are aligned, aligned very, very well with good guys.
1: And I'm assuming your development partner already had a construction uh, company relationship that you guys were able to use, or is this a new construction company no one in the GP's really used before?
0: No, no, no! Absolutely, we view uh, our GP has used this guy very often. Um, two, uh, so we have three developers on, on the team. My actual business partner, and then we brought two other guys in just for another sounding board, so another voice at the table. And between the three of them, they've worked with this uh, with this company probably on five to seven different projects. So there's a very good relationship built there.
1: Yeah, they got a good track record, too. Right. That's and good. then, again,
0: one of, our member, one of the members of the GP is also the architect. You know, my business partner, uh, he has worked with this architect on many deals. Uh, he's done many deals throughout uh, Nashville himself, but he and my partner have worked together on multiple deals already.
1: Yeah. And, and you guys picked a great market, too. Nashville is booming right now. Uh, how far is this from downtown?
0: Uh, probably about three, maybe four miles at the most. It's on Dickerson, Uh, like for anybody that knows anything about Nashville. So it's in East Nashville, which is kind of an up and coming area. The reason we decided to do this concept, because we were originally going to take the land and build 196 units of multifamily. That's my strong suit. I know that all day. (laughs) You voted for that one, right? (laughs) Exactly. He said, look, we've got a project on either side within about a half mile of this project. They're going to be building a two to 300 unit multifamily. There's definite room in this town to support more multifamily, so we're still good to go that way. But what we're, we what we started doing is looking around the neighborhood. What's missing? Yeah, East Nashville is transitioning. They don't have these cool restaurant concepts, this hip kind of funky. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Not attachment, but attraction. You know, right? Like the town is itself. You know? Exactly. So you know, we thought, okay. Lots of residential, but there's not a lot of office. There's not a lot of retail, and there's not a lot of restaurants in this area to support all this, uh, all this stuff that's being built up for residential. So instead of having to go to downtown Nashville or to the Gulch or you know all these other places, uh, Wedgewood, Houston, again for those that know the area. They don't have to go to Germantown now. They can stay right in their own neighborhood and have a really, really cool area. You know, we talked about retail and office. We're doing the exact same thing that we're doing with the restaurants. We're doing micro. Again, people maybe don't want the WeWork or the Regis. They want their own space that they can appoint the way they want to, but they don't want to have to take down a 1,000 square feet, 5,000 square feet. They want, you know, maybe a couple hundred square feet. So we're doing that for retail. We're doing that for office. For retail, there we're looking for retail that is not Amazonable, right? Yeah. So something that can't be disrupted and have the you know the rug pulled out from under them by somebody like Amazon. I love Amazon, but they've you know kind of crushed a lot of mom and pop businesses. So we're going to cater to those, you know, maybe some of the service industry kind of things, like some uh, maybe a massage therapist, maybe a tattoo parlor, uh, a barber, maybe you know things like that, a coffee shop that you're just not going to get. On Amazon, right? But we're going to give them again smaller formats that they can go in, still have a good family business, but not have to take on the enormous risk and financial risk of you know a larger space. So all of this is very consciously purposely built.
1: Yeah, no, I love the project. I think it looks great. Definitely gonna I put a link in the show notes, people can go check it out. Bruce, before we head in the next section of the show, is there anything else you wanted to touch on in this project that you have um, that you want people to know about? I think we hit on a lot of angles about it.
0: Uh, you know, the, probably the only other kind of cool part about it, you know, there, it's the sizzle, right? You know, it, yeah. but it's part <laughs> of what's going to make this such a cool project? And it's not just a cool project that we can all brag about because we own it as LPs and GPs. It's more about we got to generate buzz, right? It's going to be new, so what we have to do is try to figure out ways to drive, you know, create buzz and drive traffic. The more traffic I can drive to this place, the retail is going to thrive. The restaurants are going to thrive. The uh, offices, they've got a great place to come down and spend their breaks, spend their lunches. One thing we're doing, we talked about podcast studios. We're also looking into the possibility, and I think it's going to work. We're going to build some small recording studio spaces also that can double as podcasting spaces. One of my best friends is a manager for some of the largest country names in the world that everybody's heard of, but he's going to be involved, not in the GP, but what he's gonna do, he's gonna provide some of his sound engineers that he knows, Grammy award-winning people that are gonna come in and help us develop these spaces. So now we can put the Grammy award-winning person's name on this project. We could put my buddy's management company's name on this project, again, by creating meetup space, you know, you're going to have 10, 20, 50 people come to a meetup. Think about all that traffic that we're generating for the restaurants. Yep. Um, if you can come and do the whole fishbowl thing, look in the window through that door in that soundproof booth where somebody's recording, laying down some tracks, a struggling artist, somebody that's trying to break into the industry, we're going to create a space that they don't have to create a recording studio in their apartment. Right. So we're doing that as well. So again, everything that we're doing is trying to create something unique. I'm talking about it. So now somebody's probably going to copy all this crap. (laughs) It's going to be, it's aimed to be very unique, very, you know, create a lot of buzz and create a lot of organic traffic for all of our tenants.
1: Awesome. I love it. That is great. I love the project. I love what you guys are doing. I'm excited to see it move forward we're going to head over to the next section of the show. These are probably going to sound pretty familiar to you it's called the curious cues. We ask all of our guests, the same questions. First question is favorite podcast. You enjoy listening to.
0: Well, of course, gotta say Dante. Oh number. yeah. yeah <laughs> I do enjoy it, but you know, outside of the obvious low hanging fruit there, man, I'm hooked on Tom you right now. Um, I like him a lot, and Travis Chapel, which is build your network. Um, that those are two of my favorites. Probably, I don't do a lot of real estate podcasts listening right now. I'll listen to yours. I'll listen to Jake and Gino's a little, but you know, you know, I, I've heard a lot of that. So I'm just trying to find other things right now that interest me. And Tom Billu and Travis Chapel are fantastic.
1: Yeah, L- listening to real estate podcasts all day is kind of like listening to the same artist all day. It's just a repeat of the same thing said differently, which is not an issue. But uh, sometimes you get some diversification in here, like this development episode we're doing here. You don't hear about this all the time.
0: So one thing, I I, I almost got shot by my partner, right? Because (laughs) we're starting our own podcast tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, there you go. We forgot to talk about it, right? So it's called, uh, I I think what we're calling it is commercial over coffee, Mm. right? So commercial over coffee. And it's just going to be me and my business partner, Tyler Cobble is his name. Um, they're in Nashville. And we're just going to talk about commercial real estate for an hour to an hour and a half uh, every Friday. And we'll have guests on every once in a while, but we're going to be just talking about what we see in the industry. And it's going to span all different aspects of commercial. And so, yeah, we'll kick that off tomorrow. I don't know when the first ones will upload, but uh, yeah, that'll be a fun project.
1: You'll you'll have to shoot me the link over to that one. Absolutely. Uh, Favorite book you enjoy reading.
0: Favorite book. I'm in my office. I'm going to look over here because I always forget titles. Um, One of them that I just read was uh, by the guy that started Blackstone, um, Schwartzman. That was a great one. I can't remember the damn name of it now. Um, (laughs) What It Takes. That's what it is. Yep, I've
1: I've heard that one.
0: Yep, I just finished reading um, Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. That was fantastic. And now, believe it or not, the one I'm reading right now, it's kind of touchy-feely. It, but it's cool as hell. Matthew McConaughey's new book, Green Light.
1: Ooh, Green Light. Yeah, I heard that did wow. phenomenal.
0: It, it's a wild book. It's like um, you know, just a story. It, it's his memoir basically, but there's yeah. so many cool thoughts and personal development kind of themes throughout the book. It's just a fascinating read. I'm loving everything about that book.
1: Yeah, it's been doing amazing on reviews. I got to get it ordered or have my wife get it for Christmas or something.
0: (laughs) He lives here in town. See if I can get him to sign it for you.
1: There you go. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, right? You will once you open up this spot, right?
0: Yeah. You'll get
1: everyone coming through. (laughs) Uh, Biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome?
0: Biggest hurdle in real estate. We probably talked about this in the last episode, but... Mm -hmm. It's my personality, honestly. And people are going to be thrown by what I'm talking about here. It's not, look, I'm a big personality. I cuss a little bit. It's just the way I talk. But the biggest thing personality-wise is I'm good like this. I'm good on stage in front of 10,000 people. You put me in a room where I don't know people, I don't know what to do. I literally, I freeze. You know, I was women. I didn't know how to have small talk with girls at the bar I couldn't do that. And you put me in a networking event in a room of people I don't know. I literally will walk out of the room. I get so uptight, so anxious, and I just, I, I freak out, you know, yeah. I really do so I, I just leave the room. I can't do it. I'm, I'm struggling to get better. I'm getting better. But what I do, I follow my social butterfly wife around the room because she was a flight attendant in a previous life. And she knows how to strike up small talk with anybody and everybody. Yeah. She's everybody's friend the second she she sees you. So I just follow her around the room like a puppy dog. That was my biggest thing is I realized I suck at this. It's a huge weakness. I need to raise money as a syndicator. It's part of my job. I got to figure out how to do this. So I figured, look, it's a weakness. I got to figure out a way around it. The way around it is to bring my wife in, have her do it, and we move through it that way. So that that's definitely been my biggest struggle. And I think it i like to talk, talk about that and talk to people about my shortcomings, because I know a lot of people want to do what I do, but they're like, I I don't know how to talk to people. Dude, I didn't, yep. <laughs> but I figured out how to do it. I found yep. people that could shore up my weakness and made it happen.
1: Yeah. It's a people person business. You, you can't not know how to talk to people or else you're not going to get very far. I mean, look at you, you've, you've overcome it. You've done a lot better and you've had much success at it. Exactly. Favorite non-real estate related hobby?
0: Uh, Anything fantasy, uh, really. Fantasy sports. Uh, Fantasy baseball is my number one, but I like fantasy football too. My team sucks. Uh, Well, you're getting closer to buying your own team, right? What's that?
1: You're getting closer to buying your own team, right? right?
0: That's the hope, dude. I I know. I really do want to, but I heard recently over the last month uh, that minor league baseball is talking right now that next year they're going to contract from 180 roughly, uh, minor league teams to 120 i'm like ah that's Ooh, gonna make that's it harder and harder for me to buy Maybe yeah like price is going up <laughs> it's to buy a minor league baseball team absolutely
1: yeah newbie advice so advice you give to someone that's looking to get started in the industry
0: couple of a, a two-pronged answer here don't be afraid you didn't know how to do what you know how to do now right this is just the next thing you got to learn yep apply yourself bust your ass Take all the courses, all the studying you can do. Find a good coach if you can. Don't be that guy. Oh, you know, that's all a crock of shit. That's all. They're all scam artists. You don't (laughs) need. You can find it all for free at the library. You're right. You can. I've got a book out that teaches you every step of the process of syndicating. But it's only a book. Yeah. There's all kinds of crap that's going to happen to you in business and syndicating, especially that.
1: Just ask you, right?
0: It's been covered in a book. It's just not possible. If you're working with a coach, you're dealing with somebody that's dealt with all those gut punches that you're going to suffer through. Eventually, they're going to help push you through them, not give up, keep pushing. So, you know, that and then also, um, you know, like I said, don't don't be afraid. You got to make moves. You got to get out there. You got to try stuff and, you know, have faith in your ability. Like I said, you didn't know how to do what you know how to do now. You know Henry Ford, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. If you're not happy with the way things are going, do something to change that shit. You're in control of your life. There's nobody else in control of your life. If you're listening to this podcast, either you're in real estate, phenomenal. I'm very proud. I'm very happy for you. But a lot of people are listening because they're like, man, I got to figure this out. I hear this is a good deal. I hate my job. You got to take a chance on you and get out there and do it.
1: Yep. Amen to that. Bruce, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thank you for making the time to come on. I know you're super busy. You got a bunch of projects going on. If someone wanted to link up with you, invest with you, how can they get in contact with you?
0: Well, you're going to get them the, the, the link to the project and the show notes. Uh, yep. That's the best thing right now. But other than that, just want to connect with me, you could follow me on Instagram. I'm apt.guy, or you can get me on uh, LinkedIn, Apartment Guy. Or my, my, my website, apartmentguy.com. So it's apt-guy.com. And you can see what we're up to. We've got educational stuff coming out. We've got other deals in the pipeline. We've got about three more deals that we're currently working on right now. So we got a lot going on. So you can follow me any of those places.
1: Well, cool, cool. Bruce, always happy to have you on. We'll have you on again soon.
0: All right, buddy. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit VictoryCapGroup.com. See you next week.